The World Economic Forum recently hosted the first in-person Davos meeting in more than two years, and you can catch up with the action on our podcast, Radio Davos, which looks at the world's biggest challenges and how we might solve them, long-form interviews on Meet the Leader, and bringing you the complete audio from some of the most fascinating discussions in Davos, Agenda Dialogues. You'll hear some of the world's sharpest minds, like Tom Friedman, who's asked, is globalization dead? If World War I didn't stop globalization, if World War II didn't stop globalization, what makes you think the war between Ukraine and Russia is going to stop globalization? The biggest economists, like the IMF's Gita Gopinath, on the future of economic growth. I've heard people worry about wages going up is a problem because that can feed into inflation. This is to be very clear. Prices going up is inflation. We certainly could see an environment where wages go up, but that doesn't have to necessarily generate a wage price spiral. Psychologist Adam Grant on the four-day week. And we want to plan work around life as opposed to vice versa, which too many of us, particularly in the West, have done for too long. Is the four-day week actually viable? In discussions moderated by A-list journalists challenging the consensus. 2021, we were told that this was transitory inflation. 2022, the beginning of, we were told this is transitory inflation. The causes of that inflation were misdiagnosed. Wherever you get your podcasts, to listen in on the action at Davos 2022, subscribe to Agenda Dialogues. I recognized that something seismic was going on in the world of work. And I thought a lot of attention is going to be paid to the here and now and the short-term recovery, and it should be. But the really interesting moment is when we stop thinking short-term and we start thinking about what are the long-term implications in the world of work. Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Neela Richardson, the chief economist at ADP. She'll tell us about the stats she's tracking now, including the surprising numbers that leaders can't overlook. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please don't forget to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. The key is to invest, invest in people. Neela Richardson is the chief economist at ADP, one of the biggest providers of corporate payroll services in the world. She's also the co-head of the ADP Research Institute, a top thought leader on labor market and employee performance research. Her job, very simply, is to look at volumes of data on employees and what they're paid and use her expertise to make connections and discoveries that can help leaders driving global workforces. That insight is always critical, but especially today when the economy is in flux and a recession could be on the horizon. She talked to me at the annual meeting in Davos a couple weeks back about the statistics that she's tracking now and what they say about the economy and the future of work. These insights can help any leader take better care of their workers and prepare for the months and even years ahead. We'll start with one metric that we might be overlooking. A trend that we should be very aware of is professions where people are aging out of. I would call uh, group those into things like 
bus drivers and accountants, uh, po positions in sectors where there had been a lot of workers at a period of time. Those workers are now retiring from the labor market, and there's not young people going into those professions. Uh, I'd add specialty trades. It's key to watch because it's key not only to wage growth, it points back to supply chain issues, especially if they're in goods producing places. And it also uh, hits hard on inflation. So it's what I call gaps in the labor market that are demographic driven, as opposed to competition or pandemic driven that we and the world really needs to keep an eye on. And what should we be looking for? Well, the opportunity to reskill a younger workforce. The fact that people are aging out of this profession is not bad in and of itself if the, it's replenished with a younger workforce. The problem then that these prof professions pose is that they're not as amenable. It may be an advertising pr problem that people are just not aware of them, but it could also be a skills gap that we have lacked in our educational system, uh, apprenticeship programs, vocational programs, and other programs that provide these skills. And then finally, it could be a chance to change business as usual, just because uh, a business for example, during tax season requires a 70-hour work week for the same pay, and it's historically always been that way, doesn't mean that a new generation of workers is going to play along. So looking for opportunities to modernize professions, to make them attractive to younger generations is, I think, an opportunity that could close those gaps more quickly. There's a lot going on with the economy. Looking at numbers when you're kind of thinking about what could happen next, what are you just interested in? I am part of the Great Resignation. Hello, my name is Mila. I'm part of the Great Resignation. And the reason I left my previous firm and joined ADP is because I was attracted by data. I, I recognized that something seismic was going on in the world of work. And I thought a lot of attention is going to be paid to the here and now and the short-term recovery, and it should be. But the really interesting moment is when we stop thinking short-term and we start thinking about what are the long-term implications in the world of work. And I thought that data could tell that story and predict where the future was going better than anything else I could think of. And I really embraced the chance to dive deep into millions of records on the employee and really look for those shifting trends, which I think will lead to permanent changes in the workforce. Do you feel that people uh, overlook, you know, labor economics? Not anymore. Yeah. But traditionally, I, I think labor was taken for granted, both the field as an academic discipline, but also the people who make up the labor force. Uh, you know, I am an, a trained economist, and I, I will note that labor economists typically make less than other specialized professions within economics like finance or international industrial organizations, a tech. Uh, I find that ironic. You would think that the people who specialize in wages and promotion would <laughs> actually benefit from that and gain from that, but that's not the case. And it shows you uh, what companies value in terms of the benefits that labor economists provide overall. Uh, and I think that's changing. Uh, it's changing because of that second reason, the workforce. Too often, the workforce was taken 
for granted. There was this common perception coming out of the Great Recession, but probably even before, that it was the company's prerogative to shrink and grow their workforce at will. And in fact, it made good business sense to do so. It helped with margins, just like we had an on-demand supply chain. We had an on-demand labor market. Well, what the pandemic taught companies in the U.S., but around the world as well, is that sometimes when you let go of your workers, they're hesitant to come back. And they may not come back to you. And if they do, they're going to ask for more money. And so I think for the next recession, which is inevitable, we know they happen typically every four years. And if it's longer than that between recessions, it's an aberration, not a norm. I think companies will be more hesitant to wholesale let go and lay off because there may be a lesson learned here that in the new economy, it's not going to be as easy to get those workers to come back. People are saying there might be a, a recession in the U.S. or uh, we might be uh, veering into a global recession. Do you think that some of this tight labor market, like for instance, that we're seeing in the, in the U.S., do you think that will continue even with an economic downturn? I do. I think it will at least be tight in pockets of the labor market. I look when I try to think about what the economy looks like in the middle term or in the long term, I look for trends that existed before the pandemic and were persistent uh, before the pandemic were exacerbated during the pandemic and are likely to continue after. One of those trends, especially in advanced economies, is an aging workforce. Demographics are destiny, um, and they're playing a big role in the labor market. And we've seen that actually exacerbated, especially in the United States during the pandemic, where it's estimated uh, more than 2 million people retired early. Uh, because of different options, maybe an increase in wealth and home equity. Uh, up until last month, maybe a sense of wealth from the stock markets, though they may be reevaluating that position now with all the volatility. But we've seen that aging of the boomer generation play a role in markets that has been exacerbated. And so as they, as they leave the workforce, those labor shortages are likely to continue, particularly in advanced countries. Countries. Do you think that maybe there's a, an opportunity for you know, workers to may, retain some of these advantages that they've they've seen recently with, you know, there's been an uptick in, in certain fields with, with wages? Will they re retain this in the, maybe the medium term? What I like to say to that question, because I'm asked a lot, are workers in the driver's seat? Are workers now calling the shots? No, they, they never will. Um, it's really... <laughs> no, that's not true, Meta. That's, that's a lie. True. <laughs> no, someone lied to you. Someone <laughs> lied to you. Um, but the workers will never be in the driver's seat, but they can be a very vocal backseat driver and make their demands known and help companies navigate the road ahead. And I think that's what we're seeing. A lot of uh, the sectors where we've seen the most acute labor shortages are the sectors that don't pay that well. They are in customer-facing industries like leisure and hospitality or retail. A lot of these sectors are have a lot of small companies that can't compete with large retailers or large wholesalers, and they've had to adjust during this pandemic. What that means is, you know, there is a limit to wage acceleration and wage growth that companies can offer. We might be closely closing in on that limit as we speak. But what it also means is that in a time where workers are reevaluating the role of work in their lives, uh, they can ask for other things, not just wages. Um, flexibility of time, increased importance during the pandemic. The line between home and work has been blurred. 
And to a certain extent, that blurring of the lines has helped achieve more balance. Um, yes, I may like to go into the office and shut the door at work, but at least let me choose the time periods when I can do so. And if I want to leave work and take an elderly parent to the doctor's office for a couple of hours, I shouldn't be penalized for that in my mind as a worker. Or if I want to go to a soccer game, I should be able to make up that time on the weekends uh, so I can be there for my child. So I think there are things that companies can offer workers that they value. Flexibility of time is one, more autonomy, but also career development, career progression, skills training, uh, making coming to work uh, more of an experience that is worthwhile instead of a place to sit for eight hours, I think is another attractive element. Workers do have the ability to get some of their needs and wants coming out of the pandemic met, and this is the time to ask for it. You mentioned that statistic at the very, very top. and But I wondered, is there also something that's been a eureka moment for you? Uh, is there something that crystallizes maybe the direction that we're heading, not even maybe related to that, but some kind of metric where you're like, gosh, this is a really important change that kind of encapsulates the economic uh, climate that we're in right now? Yes. And it has nothing to do with economics. Uh, we at the ADP Research Institute uh, did a people at work survey where we surveyed 33,000 workers in 17 countries to really get the feel of what the workers are going through and the mindset and sentiment around work. And we've done that at the scale for three years in a row, both before the pandemic, during the heart of the pandemic, and hopefully now as the pandemic is wane, waning, not everywhere, but around most of the world. And the results are surprisingly consistent. I can go into a lot of them. But the one that really surprised me is mental health challenges. The fact that so many of the global workforce not only reported that they were struggling with stress at work at least once a week, but that their work was actually impacted by that stress in a negative way. First of all, people don't talk negatively about themselves in surveys generally. They just don't. They'll talk about their bosses, their jobs, their kids, maybe even their spouses, but they won't say things that look bad. But the fact that this was a globally consistent result was surprising to me. It was also surprising because before the pandemic, I don't think there would have been an open conversation about mental health. And now it has to be part of the conversation. And the good news is companies are stepping up. They're taking that conversation seriously. They're offering some stress breaks and meditation classes and a little more flexibility to help with the stressors of life. And we know that pandemic amplified the stressors, but they were always present for working families. So I actually regard this first as a surprise, a sad reality of the moment we're in, in terms of all the challenges that people are facing globally, but even in our own local neighborhoods, but also uh, pointing to the possibilities and opportunities to make the workplace better by allowing people to bring their home, whole selves to work and giving them the tools to cope with these challenges in order to make you know the workplace better. And what's the way that maybe people aren't thinking about of how this sort of mental health uh, cloud is going to impact the economy? Like, I, I think people aren't making this connection at all. In a separate study that was conducted by the ADP Research Institute, it was found that, you know, people who had the right amount of stress, because stress can be good, you know, it yes. leads to better performance. Ask any, you know, person who has to perform for a living, a little bit of stress is not a bad thing. But stress that it's routine, that's chronic, that drains you, actually leads to uh, lower engagement. 
less of a feeling of resilience. And this is what should get every company executive's ears open in a, in a time of labor, labor shortages. It could lead to people leaving the workplace, either because of physical conditions tied to stress or because of mental stress that leads them to look for other work. And that's why it's such a pressing issue. So as a company, there's many things you have to, many balls in the air that you have to keep your eye on. But the health of your worker, the pandemic has taught us that that should be central. The gender gap is another a thorny problem, a chronic issue. Are we getting closer or are we stalling? What's, what's your take? We're stalling. It's it's interesting um, looking at the U.S. data. Women were 46% of the workforce before the pandemic, uh, but using ADP data, uh, we show that they took 53% of the losses. And the reason why is because women were over-indexed in those very sectors and industries that took the hardest hit during the pandemic, retail, healthcare, education, and the list goes on. And so we actually found a narrowing of the gap between men and women. It's about 20% before the pandemic. It narrowed to 83% after. But it was a false conclusion. Sometimes data is concealing rather than revealing. And so you have to turn that screw another time to make sure your result is robust. And here we found that the reason why that gap narrowed is because so many low-income women lost their jobs. Fast forward that to around the world, that's not just a US-specific problem. We see wage gaps everywhere. We've seen women bear the burden of the pandemic in multiple countries and have their careers have maybe had a negative impact because of that. So really, um, it's about supporting workers and individuals, but key is supporting women to make those gains, to make, you know, household living standards even better and more equitable uh, overall. Yeah. Uh, is there a book that you recommend? I, I've recently picked up Ben Bernanke's new book on central banks, and I, I think that that in this moment is really important with so many global central banks around the country really redefining themselves in the presence of inflation, which the world hasn't seen for decades. This is an important book to look at the history of central banks, particularly the United States, arguably the most important given the prominence of the dollar in, in world markets as and at the treasury market as safe havens. But look at not just the success stories, but the missteps and how monetary policy plays a role in the vitality of not only financial markets, but in the, the labor market as well. So I'd pick up that book. I'd thumb through it at least to really give a perspective on all the decisions that central banks are going to have to make over the course of the next two to three years to get inflation reined in. And uh, what do you think, aside from maybe getting more schooled on, <laughs> on the mechanics of things. How can leaders prepare for this environment where there's likely going to be a global recession, there's already inflation? What should leaders be doing now to prepare for the next two to three years? Invest in humans. Yeah. We often hear about blockchain and we hear about technology and automation and all these really cool things that my 14-year-old is very geeked about and they're important. But we can't lose sight of the reason why 
economies grow, and this reason never changes, is because the workforce grows in size and that workforce gets more productive. Technology can give you part of that answer, but skills and how to use that technology will lead to a more productive workforce. So if you really want to stay ahead of the game, you want wages to grow because profits are growing, because you've invested in your people, you've made them more productive, which means you sell more stuff and make more money, the key is to invest, invest in people. And leaders that uh, fall short of that, maybe they sideline it for a little bit because they've got some other goal. I'll do that next quarter. I'll do that next year. What will happen to people that don't invest? You know, Maybe this is the best advice I, I've ever gotten. Do not lose sight of the urgent at the expense of the important. Yeah. There are a lot of urgent issues right now that'll take an executive's time. In terms of importance, it's about really growing your business over the long term, and that means growing your people as well. I think those distractions could really limit the capacity of a company, and it's really important to make the important things like investment in people center in your strategies. That was Neela Richardson. Thanks so much to Neela. And thanks so much to you for listening. This episode of Meet the Leader was produced and presented by me with Juan Turan as studio engineer and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day. <laughs>